Our scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 5, as we continue our sermon series in Exodus. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, most of you know the sort of the great his redemptive act is Christ's crucifixion on the cross and resurrection from the dead. And the corollary to that, the great redemptive act in the Old Testament is God's freeing the Egyptians, or the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt. And uh, we get to read about part of that this morning, uh, and we're going to see that the theme of this act is that God, the God of the Hebrews, the God, uh, fights for the poor and the downtrodden and wins, but that the fight is not always without its drama and tension. Uh, Hear this beginning in Exodus chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose upon them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them, that they may be labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that when they were in trouble, saw they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you made us stink in the eyes of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? 
Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that you are with us now in a very powerful way. Father, in these few moments, we ask that you would show us the the kinds of things that we need to see about you. You would speak to our hearts. And so, Lord, we would give you our hearts now in these moments. Uh, Father, help us anticipate good things from you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. Let me begin by saying that we are in a divine story, an extraordinary story. It is an exciting story, and it has four big parts to it. Uh, Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Those are the four big parts to it. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. You are in an extraordinary story. And in the book of Exodus, we are introduced to God's plan to redeem a people for himself. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at uh, primarily chapter 5, which we just heard Nathaniel read for us. And I'm going to focus on those last couple of verses there when Moses speaks to the Lord. So in case you're wondering, where are we going? uh, That's where we are headed uh, headed to this morning. Moses, last week, we looked briefly at the idea that Moses saw this extraordinary bush in the desert. It was full of glory, and God was speaking through this bush. Then we looked at the more important tree uh, that God speaks through, and that is that God speaks through the cross. And so we are, as a church, self-consciously, we're trying to be aware from the very get-go that we are uh, not looking at just stories and finding out details about the stories, but we want to find Christ. So if you want to know how to pray for myself or uh, anyone who preaches in in the pulpit here, we want to give you the the primary actor in the Bible, and that is Christ. So we want to find Christ. This is an extraordinary story, and we are seeing God reveal himself as a redeemer. And uh, so that's what makes this really, really exciting. We know that Moses has a lot of questions for God. He has actually four objections to, to God's plan, and he begins to ask these questions at the burning bush. Um, The first question is, who am I? Uh, I mean, I'm just a, I'm not, I got a refugee out here in the desert. And God answers that objection with saying, look, it's not about you, it's about me and who I will be for you. And then Moses comes along with a second question saying, look, you've given me this plan to go into Egypt and to declare to Pharaoh and to the leaders of Israel that I'm going to lead these people. But what if... uh, you know, what if they don't believe me? And in fact, who is sending me? Uh, particularly the children of Israel are going to be asking, the leaders are going to be asking, what God is, are you saying you represent? And so we have the famous statement by God, I am that I am, that recorded for us in Exodus 3. Then we move along, and then in, in chapter 4, Moses uh, says, well, what if they don't listen? What happens if they don't listen? And then God shows him that God will accompany Moses with miraculous powers. And so as Brandon showed the the staff and throwing it on the ground and 
Didn't do much, did it? All right. But as Moses threw his staff on the ground, uh, it turned into a snake. And essentially, what, what, is, what God's demonstrating before Moses there, this is what you're dealing with, the, the, uh, the unjust authority of Pharaoh who is beating down the people. And uh, he is, in many ways, he's like a serpent uh, who is inflicting pain upon people. Moses is given the power to make that staff turn into things that God will call it to, be, to turn into. And then secondly, Moses is told to put his hand inside his chest, and he does so, and he pulls it out, and it's leprous. And so we realize that God is going to give Moses the power to bring, uh, to bring miraculous events upon, upon Egypt, and they are going to be events of disease and, and pestilence and, and trouble for Egypt. And Moses puts his hand back in his chest, and his hand is turned back to normal flesh. So God's answer to Moses' third objection is, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you the power of miracles. When they don't listen to you, these miracles will testify that they should. And then lastly, Moses is really sort of desperate when he's before God. It's quite surprising to us. We might think of Moses as a willing, eager servant. Moses, from the very beginning, wants out of this deal. He's going to have to go up against the most powerful person in the world at the time. And here he is, this nobody who's on the backside of the desert, this refugee, and God's calling him to say, look, you're my man, and you go in there and you stand before Pharaoh and represent me. You be my mediator. And Moses is like, no way, I'm out. And his last, his last attempt is to say, look, you need someone who's eloquent. You need someone with powerful rhetorical skills. It's interesting that the book of Hebrews tells us that Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household, or his, in Pharaoh's schools, and Pharaoh probably had some pretty decent rhetorical skills. But Pharaoh come, I mean, Moses comes and says, forget it. I can't speak. You can't use me. And at this point, we find God becoming angry at Moses and re- responding to Moses by saying, who made the mouth? I will be with you. And then they work out a deal where Aaron will accompany. Aaron is Moses' brother. And his brother will be uh, Moses' mouthpiece. And so the two of them will now go and stand before, before uh, the Pharaoh. It's interesting that God makes a comment to Moses that I want to revisit later on in the message, and God makes a comment in the Exodus 4.16 about what God intends for Moses to represent. God intends, he says that when you are with your brother Aaron, you will be like God, you will be like God to him. A really unusual phrase. What does that mean? Well, we're going to unpack that a bit. But what God is intending to do is he is going to make Moses his representative, his image before Pharaoh and before Egypt and even before his own brother. So we'll we'll, we'll come back to that. Again, we're heading to chapter 5, and toward the end of of chapter 5 is really where we're going to camp for a bit. But the big showdown finally happens in chapter 5, verses 1 and following. Uh, and if you, there's quite a drama leading up to the actual plagues, and there's a lot of stories that are going on, and there's some stories I will not cover uh, even as we think about getting ready for the, these plagues. But Moses and Aaron come before Pharaoh, and they present the plan, and they simply say, uh, let the Hebrews go so they can go out into the desert and worship their God. Pharaoh's response is essentially... No way. Who is this God? You come in here and introduce this strange God to me. I don't even know him. 
And Pharaoh's response is essentially, I'm ruling this land, and if you have a God that's representing, you're representing a God, well, what does he do? In other words, Pharaoh's saying, I'll tell you who is running this land. I am. You know how I'm running this land? Because when I say something, it happens. Pharaoh is, in many, his own way, his own logic is saying, there's no other God that I have to deal with. I'm free to do what I want. So Pharaoh then turns and he says to them, you know where this is all coming from? This is coming from being idle. It's kind of an unusual response. But Pharaoh says to them, you know what you're doing? You're sitting around and you've got plenty of time to think about these things. Who needs worship anyway? And you just need to stay busy. You need to stay busy. And so he turns to then his taskmasters who are overseeing this huge labor force, the Israel, Israel, Israelite labor force, and he turns to them and says, crank up the pressure, keep the quota of bricks on them, pressure them, go at them, and we learn that they will not be supplied, the, uh, the Israeli slaves, the Israelite slaves will not be supplied straw. In the ancient world, they built, they built uh, they, straw was necessary for the making of bricks. And now we have the implementation of beatings. And so uh, if there was someone who wasn't cooperating, what they would be, they'd be stretched out on the ground and they would be beaten in front of other people. So now you have Pharaoh responding to Moses' initial statement, let God's people go. And Pharaoh responds, I'll show you who's in charge of Egypt. And it leads to a bad situation getting worse. And so uh, then uh, we have the, the leaders of Israel come before Pharaoh's court and they plead to Pharaoh directly and say, please stop this. How were we ever bad servants or bad slaves? We did not deserve this. Pharaoh rejects them. And then what's interesting is that as these leaders are leaving Pharaoh's court, they bump into Moses and Aaron, who are waiting outside. And the leaders of Israel let them have it. And they turn to them and they say, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Meaning, if it's gone from bad to worse, it's going to start looking really, really bad. It's going to start really becoming terrible. You have now unleashed his fury, and we know that he can randomly kill. This is, what, this is the news they get from the leaders of Israel leaving Pharaoh's household. And then Moses. Moses turns, and somewhere in some place, turns and speaks directly to God. And we have these words recorded for us in verse 22 of chapter 5. Astounding words. Moses says in verse 22, O Lord, why have you done this, this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. He says that directly to God's face. Moses, the one who wanted out from the very beginning, went in, obeyed, spoke in front of Pharaoh, did what he needed to do, had his brother next to him, and it, and it made a situation worse. 
Now, just by way of the outline, if you want to follow a few ideas, I want to just, let's just spend a few moments asking a couple of questions. What is it like to acknowledge that God exists? What's it like? Well, in many ways, this is a story that's telling us about the level in which human beings will allow, if I could use that word, allow for God to intrude into their lives. Pharaoh, there's no functional reason to allow this God to interfere. For Moses, well, God plays a role, but I really want to get back to my life. In other words, Moses is going through some sort of religious steps, and he's obeying, he's doing his job, but you can sense his heart is not in it, and he wants instant relief. What is it like to acknowledge God exists? Well, the whole book of Exodus answers that question. God's will is primary. God's will will be done. God's timing is underway. It's God's world. It's God's agenda. And all of us need to wake up to it. That's what it's, that's what it's like to acknowledge that God exists. Moses is learning a bit about God. Pharaoh rejects knowledge of God. What's it like for us to be connected to our God? What's it like for us to, to listen to our God? Do we listen to God But do we listen in such a way that we say, well, Lord, this is the level in which I will listen to you. I will listen to you at a functional level. If you come through for me, I listen to you. But the deeper issues of my heart, the deeper issues of worship, the deeper issues of that you call me to, I'm not there for you. I'm not interested in that. If you have a functional role in my life, okay, you're in. Interesting that God is going to work with Moses. He's going to listen to Moses. He's going to dialogue with Moses, the one who came right into his face and said, you have done evil. God is willing to converse with him, dialogue, stay with him, persevere. It's extraordinary. What do we do with this knowledge of God? Well, in many ways, our plans seem more than sufficient for us. Our plans feel pretty sufficient and okay for us. Moses' plan for his life, well, whatever it is, he doesn't want to follow any further in this, this idea of, of, of being obey, obeying God. Our plans, when we think about the knowledge of God, well, if it has a functional role in our life, that's good. But we really don't see a lot of glory in God's plans. We don't see a lot of great goals to it. We see something of it, but it doesn't really grip our hearts. As we look at this passage, we're learning about Israel, uh, Israel's leaders, we're learning about Pharaoh, and we're learning about Moses. The leaders of Israel are really ticked at Moses. They, want, they, they see this as a bad situation. They want immediate fulfillment of what Moses had promised. He said he, would, he did promise deliverance, and they are upset. We'll learn from Pharaoh that he easily dismisses, easily dismisses the God of Israel, just easily dismisses. Uh, He has deep power issues. Pharaoh's sin is largely anti-creational. This means that Pharaoh is, we've already seen that he's willing to to throw babies in the Nile. He is a a very anti-creational king. There's a darkness about him. he, He has promoted a death culture. And in, and, and Pharaoh is going to experience God as creator, God as the restorer of his creation, and God as the redeemer of his people. So, why does God judge Egypt? Why does God institute judgment? 
Well, in one way, justice is done, and that should comfort us, that God is not willing to stay back and be passive toward evil, but he is a comforter of his, to his people, and he does uh, implement his justice. God desires an ordered world and is bringing that about through his son. So, in this passage, Exodus 5 we have Moses appearing before Pharaoh, and you can feel how discomforting it was. You can feel that Pharaoh doesn't take any, I mean, Moses doesn't take any real delight in it. He's going through the motions. He's there. He obeys. But the moment there's a, there's a, something bad happens, he's easy to jump, and he wants out. As Moses faces Pharaoh, it's almost as if he's going to die. Remember those objections? I'm not eloquent. Who's with me? How will, I know, how will I show that you're with me? He is deathly afraid of being in a situation where he looks bad. He wants relief. When he essentially clenches his fist before God, in verses 22 and 23, he's basically saying, I want deliverance from this. You have made me look bad before the, the, the leaders of Israel. You've made, me, you've made me look terrible. Now, we all know that Moses is making a big mistake. We know that he is, the fact, go beyond that. Moses is sinning in his response to God in verses 22 and 23. Moses, the great lawgiver? Moses, the one who gave the great, the great Ten Commandments that we'll find uh, in Exodus 20. Moses has shattered the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Who is that other god before the true God? Well, it's Moses' reputation. It's Moses' life. It's Moses. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you see what's already going on in the book of Exodus? The book of Exodus is already telling us that no one's going to keep God's law, even the law giver, Moses. It's actually a form of insanity that Moses is momentarily visited, he actually has told God to his face, you've done evil. Paul Tripp has a quote on, uh, on foolishness. He says this. He says that foolishness is more than being stupid. It's a deadly combination of arrogance and ignorance. Moses, before the living God, who has, check this out, before Moses has already had the burning bush. He's already had a special, what the theologians call a theophany, a special manifestation of God. It's a custom-made one just for him. And he's already forgotten that glorious experience, and now he's convinced that the God who appeared to him intends evil for him. What does that tell you about our hearts? Foolishness is more than being stupid. It's a deadly combination of arrogance and ignorance. Do you know what Moses is doing here for his original audience that heard this story or read this story? They're about to go into the land of Canaan. That second generation is the first group that read this. And you know what Moses is saying to them? I know I'm one of you. You have a clenched fist, stubbornness toward God and his law. I'm like you. And if there's any change that ever happens, it has to be because God makes that change happen in us. 
So Moses, let's think about just for a moment. What is Moses' need? Verses 23 and 24. What's his need? He wants circumstantial happiness. His outward situation is all that he can think of. He's self-referential. God exists to make his circumstances easier. I can honestly say I'm very much like Moses. That's a good role for God to play in my life. Relief, particularly in this context, he wants relief from shame. You see, the opinion of people looms very large in Moses' horizon. The opinion of people is overwhelming Moses. Moses feels like he's going to die. This is awful. And God, though painfully, slowly works with Moses, and you can find the dialogue in in Exodus chapter 6. God responds to Moses and says, I will be there. I will be the Lord. I will deliver you. I I I will keep my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will deliver the people. They will get out into the wilderness. They will worship me, and they will enter into the land of Canaan. But it's painfully slow. It's painfully slow process. And God is willing that Moses will squirm. God is willing that Moses will feel the heat of the moment. It's interesting that we know that God has the power to come in and just zap Pharaoh. <laughs> Wicked witch of the east or west or which one? Melting, you know. Does God not have that power? Yeah. God chooses days and weeks and months and years. God's not afraid of time. He enjoys it. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever watched these Turner classical movies, classic movies? You ever watch that? If you're over 40, you, that's the main station you watch probably. <laughs> Black and white movies. I watched one the other day with Henry Fonda and it was a, uh, called Failsafe. It's this bad anti military movie, and uh, I mean, it's, I don't know, it drove me crazy. I I, I caught the last half hour. Movies were so slow back then, so slow, and I willed myself to see the whole last 30 minutes of it. It felt like I was there for a month. It's unbelievable. God is willing for Moses to experience change, and Moses is going to change. We're going to see Moses change. He's still going to be cranky. He's still going to be impatient. He's still going to uh, be fiery and restless. Yeah. But there's going to be some change come over Moses. Do you know that Moses, uh, later in the book of Exodus, is actually going to intercede for Israel when God says, look, I'm done with these stiff-necked people? God says that. I'm done. I've done my job. I got under the border of of the the river Jordan, and uh, they can go in. I'm not going in with them. Moses says, hey, wait a minute. Your presence with us makes us unique. Your presence with us makes us unique compared to the other nations. And Moses pleads that God's presence would stay with his people. Do you know that Moses now is going to understand in time what God said, I'll be with you, Moses. And Moses will learn to treasure that more than anything else. But God is willing to let time unfold and it feels slow and it feels, uh, and even for your own life, for the things that you would like different in your life or the change you'd like as a Christian, 
Do you, does it feel like it's just sort of grinding along? Does it feel like it's just slowly moving along? It's interesting that God, Sunday after Sunday, gives you the ordinary means of grace. We like extraordinary means of grace. But really, it's just a, a, a sermon that kind of lumbers along. And uh, it's a service that maybe you're familiar with and you sing some songs. But do you know what? God is using this ordinary means of grace, Sunday after Sunday, to sanctify you. He's, he's using this. Stage two, really, is that stage one, Moses is so aware of his need, he wants out. Stage two, he knows that God is a powerful redeemer, and he does not want to be apart from God's presence. God, in response to Exodus 5 and Moses' complaint, God says, I'll be with you. And Moses will learn to live in that. God reveals that he will show his strong name. He will be a great and powerful redeemer. He's going to bring deliverance and worship is coming. His people will know that he is the Lord. Moses' great need is God himself. So let me ask you about the things that you're complaining about. Every complaint that we have, everything that we may murmur to ourselves or say out loud, in the end, is a complaint against God. Aren't you glad you came to Sunday? Is this Sunday, huh? Aren't you glad you're here? Every murmur is a complaint that God doesn't know what he's doing. And it's within our capacity to actually accuse God of these things. Moses is just as offended as Pharaoh in this passage. Now, it's interesting that God tells Moses something really unique. He told him when Moses said, hey, I can't speak very well, and and God says, okay, we'll have Aaron come alongside but God tells him, but Moses, this is chapter uh, 4, verse 16. Moses, before your brother, you will be like God. God says it again. In Exodus 7, verse 1 and following, God says before Pharaoh, you'll be like God. Now that's really strange language, isn't it? Does he say that you're going to be part of the Trinity? No but you will reflect my image. God, when we say that the story is creation, fall, redemption, God is serious about the redemption part of it, meaning he's going to restore our image-bearing capacity. That's what's underway. Romans uh, 8.29, those whom God calls and predestines, he, he is shaping us after the image of his Son, That is why you are being sanctified right now. The the process underway is that you would be conformed to the image of his son. You are now called to be an image bearer right now. God is going to change the the bent of Moses' heart. And Moses is now going to reflect the image of God before his brother, before Pharaoh, and before Israel. But how does this happen? Well, it's that one thing that Moses was resisting. Remember how Moses felt as if he was going to die in all these circumstances? 
Well, guess what? God calls him to die. God calls Moses to die of all his plans, all his agendas. And you know, the first slavery that God deals with in the book of Exodus is the slavery to self. Moses has seen the glory of God from the burning bush, and this glory will now begin to be manifested to, God, to Moses, and the fundamental orientation of his heart will be changed because of God's grace. God is going to renew all of creation, and it starts with the human heart he is working on by his mercy. The end goal for our lives is that we will be made in the image of Christ. Colossians 1.15 tells us that Christ is the image of God, and Romans 8.29 tells us that we are being conformed to that very image. Now, Moses has a change uh, in his view of God, and it takes a long time, and it's true for us as well. Scotty Smith, in one of his books, he writes this. He's a pastor out of Tennessee. He says uh, that often we have God as a personal end in mind. He says God might become my servant, not my savior. God becomes my lounge chair, not my Lord. God becomes my means, not my end. God becomes my clay, not my potter. God becomes my scapegoat, not my glory. That transition is happening in the heart of Moses as God is patient, willing for days and weeks and years to unfold, and Moses will long for the glory of God, and his heart will change. The presence of God will be better than temporary relief, and Moses will accept this kind of death that God is calling him to. It's interesting that the final Moses, Jesus Christ,